Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Okay, John, we only have three weeks. Three weeks before the college football before season. college football. There you go. Yeah, something to look forward to here in kind of the, the dog days of summer as summer is kind of winding down. Um, kids are getting ready to go back to school. So, uh, you, you know, the one of the first games is uh, Florida and Miami are playing. That should be pretty interesting. Yeah, it'll get off to a great start. And that's what right here at the end of August. Yeah, yep, yep. Like 24th. So that'll be interesting. And speaking of interesting, we have an interesting show lined up for you today. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about five things my dad taught me. Mm -hmm. um, this is a tribute to the dads out there and especially to Kathy's dad. My father's, my, my wife's father passed away um, this week. Yep, yep. Unfortunately, he was a terrific guy and uh, reminded me of, you know, the things that my father taught me. And uh, so I'm going to share some of those with you. Our, our, our parents all teach us some great financial lessons, mm -hmm. things that last our, a lifetime and we pass on to our kids. So I think it's a, trip, a fitting thing for us to revisit that and uh, talk about, you know, what, what my dad taught me. Yeah, honor him a little bit. That's a great, great discussion. Then we're going to switch over to uh, uh, another interesting topic about um, predictions. And we, we talk about this periodically, Steve. Predictions are usually wrong. Um, you know, you look out there at all the forecasts that are done. There are thousands of forecasts done every year. And studies basically say, you know, you could flip a coin and, and do just as good as as the uh, predictors of interest rates and where the economy is going and stock market and so forth. So we're going to dive into that good article out of Barron's kind of looking at uh, why predictions are usually wrong. Yeah, that's that'll be a good one, no doubt. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen to it directly from your computer. Uh, also on the, the, the uh, website, Steve, we have a lot of resources. We have some retirement planning tools, information about college um, majors and so forth. A lot of information, some videos out there. Check that out, Facebook page as well as a uh, Twitter handle. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yes, yeah, Steve, I went back in, in time a little bit and, um, you know, this is 2011. So, we, you know, it's been pretty volatile Eight two years. years. Yeah. Um, but back in August uh, the 5th, um, which is we just came up on that anniversary of 2011, the United States had a debt downgrade by the S&P rating agency, and it went from AAA to AA. And oh, guess what? The stock market was not happy. Not happy about that at all. Down almost 7% in the first trading day following that. So um, really first time that had ever happened. Markets didn't know how to respond. Uh, markets recovered pretty quickly and went on in 2012, 2013, fantastic years. And the only point in telling you that is there's always going to be blips um, in the market. 
course, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. But historically, what we see is there's noise. Um, and That's we, right. we see a lot of noise right now. We don't know when it's going to end and go further higher, but there's noise. There, and right now, the tariffs are, are noise. That's right. I mean, there is, it seems like there is something like this every single year, you know, and you mentioned the debt downgrade was one. We had Brexit, you know, just a few years ago mm-hmm. um, when they voted to, you know, the, to leave the EU. And so there is, there is always something that kind of rears its head during the year and the, you know, markets kind of look for an excuse to pull back. And that's why we have one correction per year of a 10% mm-hmm. drop or more on average. Yeah. Going back 100 years. And being down 5% or more is about uh, three, three times a three year. Three times a year. So, exactly. I mean, it's, these things are not um, unusual. The events are always different. Yeah. Having said that, the last two years have been unusually volatile. We've had a little bit more than our share mm-hmm. over the last two years. So, you know, we're hoping for a little more calm going forward. But uh, till then, we're going to have to just be patient and recognize that, yeah. that this is what the stock market does. Yeah, and the key is have a process in place that can handle the ups and the downs. So that may mean being a little bit more conservative in your portfolio, maybe having some bonds in there that kind of, you know, shock absorbers. So there's ways to kind of handle that and get through these difficult times. Exactly. Great. So good financial fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic. And as I mentioned, um, you know, John, my dad um, taught me a lot of great things. And uh, my generation, my family, friends are kind of losing their dads as they age. Um, so, you know, I'd like to dedicate this to all the dads that are out there that work hard to instill a lot of financial wisdom on their kids, and especially to Kathy's dad, who just passed away this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like most of us, I learned a lot of valuable lessons from my father in dealing with finances. Some of them weren't always the way I preferred to be taught, <laughs> but they were effective nonetheless, you know. And my father died very early, um, about 30 years ago, in fact, uh, when I was just out of college for a few after a few years. But he was a great manager of his money, and the lessons he taught me, I've tried to pass on to my own kids through the years. And some of those lessons were taught by, you know, getting to watch his mistakes and saying to myself, you know, I won't make that one, you know. Um, but uh, but some of the lessons were small, and, and some of them were a little bit painful, like having to buy him a new cooler because I, I borrowed his and didn't return it on time. Mm. Yeah. That was a $7 lesson when I was a kid, you know, about responsibility that I never forgot. Um, but other lessons, though, were big and were from the great example he taught me about managing his money and avoiding mistakes. And so all those lessons have helped me, you know, live a more full life without financial worry um, while saving for the big things. So I want to go through a few of these, um, five of them, in fact, and just talk about them and and how they came about, because they're very important, impactful lessons that I learned from my dad. Um, now, my dad didn't make a whole lot of money, um, but he he took some great family vacations. So the first one here is to have some balance in your life. Um, and my dad did that. He, he took some great, fun vacations with my mom, just the two of them. Um, he also saved his money well. Uh, he used some of that to join a country club where we played golf together. Um, now personally, I don't think he went far enough in this because he saved, you know, some of his best trips for retirement that never came Mm -hmm. because he died at only 52 of colon cancer. Mm. Um, but having said that, we had some great family fun vacations together, like going to Disney world every single year. Um, and he did it on a tight budget. Again, he didn't make a whole lot, 
But, you know, I remember, you know, every single year we did take a family vacation together, you know, for at least a week. So we did the same thing with our kids growing up. And one of the most memorable and cheap vacations we did with our kids was driving to to, uh, Washington, D.C., um, for five days. Um, you know, there was so much to see and do there. Great history. Didn't cost a lot. Um, and I remember me and Josh going on subway trip to, for two hours to go find Krispy Kreme donuts, <laughs> you know, in DC. Um, and another cheap vacation was driving all the way to Florida Keys and staying a week there. So, you know, I think even an outlandish vacation, like a cruise with a family, will make a lot of great memories, and it's worth planning and sacrificing for. Yeah, absolutely. One of the trips I, I remember with my, my family, I have an older brother and a younger brother, so th- my parents had three boys, and they had a camper, and it was a pop-up camper, so you'd have to roll it up, and we would take it out to Hickory Knob or you know, up to Clark's Hill or whatever and go fishing, and I have, remember yep. seeing pictures of that and so forth, and just can imagine all five of us in that little camper with my, my older and younger brother. God bless my yeah. parents for putting up with them. I mean, I was, you know, I was you were always the, you were good. the calm one, right? I was the oh, calm I'm one, sure right? You were, so, you know, middle no child, doubt. you know, I was always facilitating everything. So, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. You don't have to take expensive trips to have those memories. And yeah, you definitely want to save for the future, but uh, without sacrificing your family life and enjoying some of it today, because we're not promised uh, tomorrow, and we can't take it with us either, right? right? So there is a balance, and you know you got to budget some fun into your life, um, regardless of how tomorrow looks, because you know we don't control it. And um, so, you know, making some of those memories with families again, it doesn't have to be expensive, but balance is important. Absolutely, yeah. So that was the first thing my father taught me. Another one, though, is to pay cash for everything. You know, you can make a lot of mistakes in life and be okay if you do it with cash. Sounds like Dave Ramsey. It doesn't it? No. Yeah. Yeah. What if Dave got it from your dad? Dave wasn't even. That's right. Wasn't even on the radio back then. That was a long time ago. Um, But yeah, my dad, he never financed a car. You know, even though he he always bought new cars. You know, surprisingly, which you know we don't really advocate today, but. Nonetheless, that's what he did, and but he always paid cash. Um, I didn't know there was any other way to buy a car. You know, it seemed not. I mean, you saved until you had enough, and then you paid cash for it. I remember him picking us up at a friend's house one time with a brand new '68 Impala, <laughs> and and I immediately spilled a milkshake in the back seat going home. <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like five, you know, and I think he did kind of lose his mind on that one. But, you know, no worries. The seats were vinyl back then. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure wipe it, it wiped right up. Yeah. You know, but uh, but I had that same car all the way through high school. Um, and I don't ever remember him using a credit card, even the, even in the 80s. Um, he never used plastic. Um, he had a 20-year mortgage on his house. He finished that off in 1983. He, he could have paid it off early. He told me that a lot of times. But it was a 4.5% mortgage, and he could earn more on a CD back then. Um, then the mortgage was costing him. So, um, he added on to the house. He built a workshop. He bought a lot at Edisto. He did all of that with cash. And he did that on a blue collar income as an operator out at SRS, you mm, know, so good. not a lot of income there. So he was a great manager of money, paid cash for everything. Um, you know, another lesson though from my dad was he always had a healthy emergency fund for unexpected expenses. To eliminate the financial stress of those. I remember my dad, I never remember my dad stressing over an unexpected expense because he always had cash to pay for it. You know, back then, you could always make decent interest on a savings account. So he'd always talk about how his emergency fund 
interest was paying for the golf club membership or some other expense that he had. Um, we had trees fall in our house during ice storms. We had big medical expenses. We had cars that broke. My dad always had cash to cover that because he had a very significant uh, emergency fund. You know, the rule of thumb is three to six months of expenses and a liquid savings type of account. My dad always had more like six months. So he really did have a great emergency fund. Yeah. And, and six months certainly can uh, cover a lot of big unexpected expenses. I mean, many years ago, a trip to the ER didn't cost five grand like it does today. Or if you have to replace your engine in your car, uh, used to cost like 800 bucks many years ago, not, not today anymore. So get laid off and so forth, it can really add up. So gotta you got to, I would err on the side of six months. I think that's a great, um, you know, amount. There's some different circumstances, which may say more or less than that, but three to six is a good, is a good target. Absolutely. Yep. And then, so the fourth thing my dad taught me was to dream big and to save big and watch the small stuff. So you know where you stand. Um, but he dreamed big and he saved big. Um, you know, my dad was a simple man. He, he didn't have a college degree or he didn't use any sophisticated investment strategies. But he wasn't afraid to take on a big task to save big money. Um, he added on to his house, to our house back then, all by himself with only a few tools like a hammer and a skill saw. You know, just the basic tools that he had. Um, and he only hired out the masonry work. And he added on, you know... I mean, it was like a 20-foot addition, you know, at the end of our house. You know, we had a ranch house like a lot of people did back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was pretty significant. He did it all himself. He was he was handy, but he had never done anything like that before that I could remember. Um, and then he turned around and he built a workshop, you know. It was a 12-by-24-foot workshop. Did that all by himself for like $1,000. That's all it cost him back then. I remember him telling us that um, in the late 70s. And that even impressed my neighbors. I remember they were real impressed that he jumped out there and, you know, just did that. Um, but as a result, you know, it kind of instilled in me that that sense that I could do a lot of things myself. Um, I contracted my own house. Um, I built my own workshop without any reservations. I saved big dollars doing that. Um, you know, I've done all the tile work in my house. That saved a ton of money. I redid my bathrooms um, in my house totally by myself. That saved a ton of money. Uh, my brother added on his house and did much of the work himself as well. So that dream big, save big strategy instilled a confidence in us that we could do a lot of stuff ourselves. And my dad would always fix anything himself before paying somebody else to do it. You know, and he wasn't scared to try. Um, to this day, my, my girls think I can fix the space station, <laughs> you know, and I do try to fix some things that I regret, you know, but um, I've saved a ton of money over the years, though, with that attitude that my dad instilled with me, and that was to dream big, save big, and uh, you can do a lot of stuff yourself more than you think. Um, so then the next one here, though, was to watch the small stuff, watch watch where your money goes, the small stuff, and know where you stand. Um, some people in my family thought my dad was tight or maybe even a cheap wad. You know, I remember my, one of my aunts, you know, using that term occasionally, um, when it came to money, but I never saw him that way. Um, you know, he didn't make a lot of money. So to live the kind of lifestyle he wanted, he had to be careful. You know, as Dave Ramsey says, he had to live like no one else so mm -hmm. he could live like no one else. Yep. Um, you know, I think he always knew how much money he had in his bank account and in his wallet. 
He watched his expenses carefully um, so he could budget for the, the bigger vaca- things like vacations. Like I mentioned, we belonged to a country club, you know, throughout my teenage years. We enjoyed the perks of that, having a pool to go to in the summer, um, you know. But when we got new clothes, though, I mean, it, was on a, it wasn't on a whim, you know. They were generally on a big sale. Um, you know, my dad would, would never let those small things get away from him. And as a result, he could afford to live a little bit above his pay grade. And above his pay level, you know, and as a result of that example, I'm pretty careful and cognizant of the small things that I spend money on today. And they really do add up. Yeah, that's a great example. So if you're listening and most like, you know, like most people, I mean, we spend a lot of money on things that we don't need. And, you know, it's, sometimes you don't keep track of it. You think about a gym membership that maybe you have that you don't use, or you have a cable package that's kind of crept up to 150, 180, and oh my gosh, how many channels do you need? I mean, 500? Uh, right. Is, a lot of people don't even watch TV is, anymore. They I use know. the internet. Yeah, Hulu and Netflix and all kind of stuff. And, you know, you have cell phone packages have continued to increase. And, you know, if you only have a $500 deductible on your car insurance uh, when it's old, and, and maybe uh, maybe that's totally unnecessary. So you got to look at your expenses every month, every quarter, prioritize them and try to cut them as you as you go through and i know tame and i we continue to do that we have dish and you know it's crept up and we're calling them and saying hey you know we got to make some changes and so just periodically looking at that kind of those expenses can help in other areas exactly yeah so watch the small stuff don't let them get away from you so the takeaways here though are our parents they teach us a lot of stuff that affects our financial lives good and sometimes bad it's our job to pay attention to that, to learn the great lessons that our parents have taught us. For my dad, it was paying cash for everything. It was having an emergency fund, but also having some balance to enjoy your money, you know, while you're planning for the future. Um, he always watched his small stuff, which saved him big over time. And he dreamed big as well in order to save big. So think about, you know, the valuable lessons that you've learned from your parents and pass those on to, the, for, to your kids um, there really are a lot of nuggets there if you think about, you know, what your parents have taught you over the years. So make sure you don't lose those so that you can uh, uh, advance them and pass them down to your kids. Okay, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, the question has to do with the, the stock market been a little volatile as of late. I mean, obviously 2018 was was a challenging year, fourth quarter, uh, and we had a bear market in 2018. Uh, started out really good in 2019. May was a, a really tough month. August has started out really tough. And the question is, is what should I do? And really the answer generally is nothing. I mean, you know, these swings that we're seeing in the markets are emotional. Um, right. You know, they're not unusual. Go back and look at history, and we've, we've had these, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, you want to make sure that, that you're properly diversified, um, that you rebalance your portfolio regularly, and uh, that you have the right risk tolerance. Um, so it's not a bad idea to take a look at where you are and have discussions if you're working with an advisor. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to make a, a move or a change. I mean, if you're building wealth and you're putting money into the market, hey, you're buying cheap shares, right? It's, Absolutely. It's recovered 100% of the time as long as you're diversified. And if you're in retirement, you probably have some bonds in the portfolio. If you need money, just go pull it from the bond side. So you got to have a process in place to handle the ups and the downs because it's not if they're going to occur, it's when. That's right. We have to have some patience and recognize that volatility actually helps you if you're saving money. You know, if you're adding, putting money to in, adding money to your portfolio, 
Um, so, you know, just focus on the long term, focus on your long term goals. You know, stop looking at the past six months or year or even two years and, you know, trying to make big decisions or, or big conclusions from that short term performance. Um, you know, the market, it, it goes up and down. And that's the reason why it yields more over the long term than a savings account mm -hmm. or anything that's more conservative. Um, so you're going to have to be patient and just write it out and recognize volatility is nothing new. It's here to stay. And, uh, unfortunately we're experiencing a little bit of that, you know, this year. Mm -hmm. So good question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic. And that is, you know, why stock market predictions are usually wrong. Yeah. This comes from Barron's, uh, good, good conversation here. Mark Holbert, uh, wrote this. And some of the headlines we see, Steve, Federal Reserve will, will cut the federal funds rate by 50 basis points. That was one of the headlines, yeah. um, you know, before they only cut it by 25. That's right. Right. So, um, and then also consider this, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is uh, about to embark on a bear market that will eventually see prices fall by 50%. And then the next day you'll see something that says, Oh, well, hold the presses. It's actually going to melt up. It's actually <laughs> going to go up. So you, yeah. I've seen like, you know, statistics, conflicting, yeah. conflicting headlines saying, Hey, China's going to do well. China's not. I mean, it's so you always got different, um, different predictions and it's a wild and crazy world of wall street predictions. And there really are a dime a dozen and they're worth even less than that. So uh, but that doesn't stop analysts from making them or from us paying attention to them. And but you should resist resist the urge when you look at the forecast for some of the 2019. Um, you know, some of the newsletter editors made at the beginning of the year, and it's always fun to look back on these to set the stage for those forecasts. Got to look back into December. Remember, the stock market plunged far enough to send a lot of the market averages into bear market territory, which means down 20 percent. And furthermore, after raising its benchmark interest rate in twenty in December, the Fed indicated that it would also raise rates several more times in twenty nineteen. Yep. Eh. They had only raised once, didn't they? Yeah. Well, and then now they just and then, and then they, they just, just cut, cut it. it. They just yeah, cut it. Took which it back. certainly wasn't <clears throat> forecasted. Exactly. So it is very unpredictable. Things change fast, and you know there there are hundreds of factors that affect the stock market. There's no way to predict all those factors. Um, and in fact, you know, there's a recent uh, study, Timers Digest. It's a service that tracks market timers' performance. <clears throat> and they surveyed three dozen timers at the beginning of the year, asking them for their forecast of where the Dow would be at the mid-year this year. So we get to see how they've done, right? <laughs> um, well, the average of their forecast was the Dow would be at 24,815, which represents about a 6% gain. Well, in fact, the Dow's first half gain, um, you know, end of June, we were at a great spot, right? It was looking really good. The Dow was more than double that. Dow was at 14% gain mm -hmm. by the end of June. Um, of course, it's pulled back some since then. But even more revealing, though, was how is the range of their predictions? Um, one of their bear forecasts uh, that the Dow would end June would stand at 15 Fifty fifteen thousand five hundred. Wow! Um, wow! So Missed that a little bit. Huge drop, right? <laughs> you know, while the uh, bullish forecasters, um, the the biggest one was twenty nine thousand five hundred. Um, the Dow finished in June at twenty six uh, six hundred, roughly. So, 
you know, they were way, they were way up off the top. The other one was way down the bottom. So, uh, so notice that the forecast, you know, they weren't just from, you know, Tom, Dick or Harry. I mean, these came from professionals who charge a hefty fee for their advice. Yeah. And as uh, Danish uh, physicist Niels Bohr once said, it's very hard to predict, especially yeah. the future. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible. So, uh, you know, a similar range of forecasts were made about the federal funds rate after the Fed's December meeting, for example. Uh, Jerome Powell, who's the leader of that organization, said he expected the Fed to raise uh, rates two more times in 2019. And he should have known, of course, right? He's a fair Fed chairman. And exactly. yet even his forecasts have been wrong. Um, not only has the, the Fed not raised rates, but the expectation now is that it will reduce uh, rates additional times in the year. They just decreased it by uh, 25 basis points back in July, and the market was hoping for, for 50, and it went down. <laughs> it just That's right. It doesn't make sense sometimes. It doesn't make sense. You know, nobody knows. Even with all the indications that the Fed puts out there ahead of time, it's, uh, it's quite a bit unpredictable what they're going to do, um, even more so, though, the stock market. And needless to say, you know, the interest rate forecast – out there of the newsletters that are out there um, on average or even further off than, 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 you know, Powell was, you Mm -hmm. know, Chairman Powell, Um, you know, you might worry that we're cherry picking these antidotes to, to make analysts look bad. But, you know, the fact remains that no one, whether investment newsletter editor or the wall street analyst has consistently been able to predict the market's short term direction. Nobody can look in their crystal ball and, you know, comes anywhere close to an accurate and consistent predictions of what the market's going to do. Yeah, there's a, a company out there called BAM Alliance, and there's a gentleman, Larry Swedro. Uh, he's conducted a, a an analysis of these forecasts since 2010. And by his count, only 32% of the analyst forecasts that were characterized as sure things came true. So one third of them came true two thirds of the time they were wrong. And these were sure things. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's interesting. But I mean, the takeaway and is don't make decisions based on these headlines. And, you know, to, to be sure these uh, predictive successes doesn't automatically translate into beating the market. Um, you know, if you could predict that the sun was going to come up every single day, which it does, thank goodness, um, you'd have a hundred percent success rate, but it doesn't mean that you're going to increase your probability of, of, of beating the market. So don't, you know, even if you're, you hear sometimes, well, he called the 2008 crash. Well, that doesn't mean that he's going to be able to do it again. And, and typically he doesn't, or she doesn't. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it is theoretically possible to make money from an incorrect prediction, um, you know, a prediction at the beginning of this year that the Dow would rise to 30,000, you know, by 2019's midpoint could be considered wrong, um, right? However, you know, it would nevertheless have led us to invest in equities during that a period um, that is one of the strongest in recent history. So you still, you know, would have gained, but at the same time, it wouldn't have, the prediction didn't come anywhere close to being true. Um, so perhaps the best judge of an analyst's predictive ability is the percentage of, of them that beat the market. And as we all know, the vast majority of them fa- fail to come anywhere close to beating the market. And of those few that do beat the market <clears throat> um, in one period, the majority of them fail to do so in the next period. So there's no consistency 
among the ones that do get lucky and beat the market. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it, this article goes on to kind of talk about, um, you know, sometimes these analysts um, want to be outrageous in their predictions and, um, you know, gain no- notoriety and new subscribers. And he's talking about these, uh, you know, primarily the newsletters and so forth. Right. Um, consider, you know, what would probably have been one of the, the best forecasts um, one could have made about the stock market um, is, you know, 4%, but that's, kind of like uh, it's a coin flip, right? I mean, the market has historically returned 10%. So if you're right in the middle of that 4 to 5%, I mean, it's not a real wow uh, yeah, forecast. Yeah, it's not a real for- forecast. That's just like picking the average. Yeah, so you got to be careful with, with these forecasts. Don't make decisions based off them. No one knows what the market's going to do. Be diversified. Have a plan. Do some rebalancing. Um, you know, it's it's part of the markets to have some of this volatility that we're seeing. So just hang in there. Yeah, exactly. Don't read too much into the market and what's been going on recently. Nobody knows the future. Um, so you have to just plan based on, you know, long-term history and your long-term plans. Um, okay. And that leads up to our final, uh, thought here. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Kind of the theme of what you were talking yep. about with your, with with, your with dad. dads out there, and right. and so what what we're recommending here is te- teach your kids, your young kids, as early as five, um, the ten fifteen seventy five methodology, and basically is giving of ten percent, saving of fifteen percent, and the other seventy five percent they can spend. Have envelopes, you can have jars, whatever, but very simple concept. And unfortunately, you know, adults, many, most adults don't do this, which is why Dave Ramsey is so successful is they don't have the 10, 15, 75 mentality. It's, you know, they're spending more than 100% of what they bring in. They're in debt and uh, it's very stressful. So start your kids or grandkids young. It's a very simple concept, but it's very powerful. Yeah, you have to teach them how to manage money when they're young and uh, instill that in them and set the example for them so they can see how it's done. Um, so that means you need to be out of debt. You need to be, you know, on the right track with a uh, emergency fund and uh, watching where your money's going and having a budget. So, uh, but great prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Children of all ages. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 